Good morning, Allie. Good morning, Jen. I am so sorry. First, the dog had to poop, and then my daughter actually called. <laughs> That's a big. That's a big morning yeah, we just had. Yeah, between yeah six fifty a.m. and seven o'clock. Oh, I gotta get the dog to stop squeezing. Hi, Papa. Take this out, please. <laughs> well, I just rolled out of bed. This is my, like, I've only had like one sip of my coffee. Ooh. And my dog's pacing around me, but hopefully you guys can't hear that too bad. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to say, sometimes we record in the mornings. This is one of those early mornings. And I was going to tell you guys about the Death Gods book, but I just can't get a good article going. Then I tried a different book. The author really likes to talk about himself, so I'm really struggling. So I was like, let me do one because uh, I want to do it on House on Haunted Hill. I want to talk about the 1950s movie, but I recently watched the 1999 movie. I watched that. Did you? I watched it last night. (laughs) I've seen that. And and back in the day, the 1999 movie, House on Haunted Hill, scared the shit out of me. And then there was one moment in which I instantly stopped being afraid because I thought it got ridiculous. But I wanted to first talk about the, the, the movie I thought was the best, which was the 1950s movie. What do you have? I have the story of Jack in the Box. A they f- found a man, and they it's you know how they do like the John Doe's. They call this one Jack in the Box. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? Why don't you go first? Because mine actually is not a re- real death. I mean, tons of people die, but not really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So in this story starts in 2002, a man who was beaten and set on fire was found in a blueberry field, stuffed in a footlocker chest container in Grand Haven, Michigan. First, I'm going to say I didn't know we had blueberry fields in Michigan. Yeah. So I learned that. Okay. Okay. The man was burnt past recognition. All leads were exhausted at the time, and it went cold. From when he was found in 2002 to 2015, the person was known as Jack in the Box. Now, David Schock, S-C-H-O-C-K, A teacher at Hope College, along with his students, created the documentary called Jack in the Box. A documentary documentary explains unsolved murder in 2005. And it's about this man's case where he was found in the blueberry field. Okay. This would be how in 2015 there would be a break in the case when someone would watch that documentary and contact the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office. Okay. And this person who is never named. Oh. I, so I don't know who called the police and gave them a lead at all. Um, led the police to determine that the man was I'm going to say Roberto Caraballo, C-A-R-A-B-A-L-L-O, age 
37. But I'm going to say here in news articles, he's called Robert. I, after all of this was done, I wrote this all up. I finally found the documentary that David Schock and his students did. And on his Vimo account, he has the trial for one of the murderers. Okay. And in that trial, I only got to watch a little bit late last night. This Roberto or Robert also is known as Juan Cintron. And I think he has one other name he goes by. Okay. I don't know what his real name is. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're like a lot of aliases there. Yeah. He, um, and so this lead tells police he was um, pushed down the basement steps of a house in Charlotte, Michigan, and then dumped in the blueberry field. Okay. This would lead to charging three people. Roberto's, we're just going to call him Roberto's. Roberto's wife, Beverly McCalcon. Okay. M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M. McCollum? McCollum, okay. Roberto's stepdaughter, Deneen, and I don't, it's D-U-C-H-A-R-M-E, Ducharme. Okay. And her friend, Christopher McMillan. Oh. So it's the wife, the stepdaughter, and the friend of the stepdaughter okay. who get charged. Okay. okay. We're going to go through each of them. So based on a Lansing State Journal article from October 2019, Christopher McMillan was charged at age 40, took a plea deal. He pled guilty to second degree murder and conspiracy to commit. With this guilty plea, he would testify against the other two and serve a minimum sentence of 15 years in prison. Wow. When Christopher spoke to the police, he told them this was a planned murder. So much so, they did a walkthrough test run the day before, though he claimed he didn't think they were actually going to do it for real. Okay. I don't know why he thought this. You, you did a test run. I'm pretty sure you're doing it for real. Uh-huh. He went on to say the plan was to push him down the stairs, attack him while he was down. He said the murder didn't go exactly as planned. He was beaten so bad. um, There was a hammer stuck in his head. He was still alive, so he was suffocated. Oh, my God. Based on what I could find, I... I couldn't find exactly who was responsible for who, for what at this point. Okay. 
pretty much I think this guy's saying he didn't do any, like he didn't kill them, you know. So, Deneen, the stepdaughter, based on a long crime news article, was found guilty. She she said she she pled not guilty and went and had a court hearing. Okay. And she was found guilty in February of 2022 and sentenced to life in prison without parole. She was guilty of one count first degree murder, conspiracy to commit, and disinterment and mutilation of a dead body. Oof. This is where Christopher got more information. Christopher took the stand at her trial talking about how Beverly wanted, so Beverly, the mom, the wife, wanted out of her marriage and how she came up with this plan to get rid of him. You know, because there's no other options. It's not like U.S. has divorce or maybe just leave. For real. I was about to say, you you could always divorce someone. You got to come up with a plan. He also talked about the actual murder, how Beverly pushed her husband down the stairs. Then Deneen and Beverly beat him with a hammer and and suffocated him. Then the the three of them put him in a footlocker, set him on fire, and dropped him in the field which is interesting and now that i can see the court now that i have those videos i'm gonna watch them because we have to come back to this case this isn't the last time you'll hear me talk about it but um i'm gonna watch those cases because i'm like where did you set them on fire because you're in a basement that's what i was wondering too yeah and the house i learned with the little that I've watched on the one case court case, this house was a duplex. They lived, they lived at the bottom, the bottom floor with the basement and there was somebody above them. So you're certainly not burning a body in your basement. Did they set him on fire in the field? That's what, that's what I would think they did, but it was how he said it, you know, he set him on fire. And then dropped him in a field. Oh, well, yeah. where the heck did you drop him? You know, set him on fire. Yeah, for real. Deneen did admit during the trial she played a role. So she admitted that she did play a role in the murder. But her mother was the one who physically murdered him. And multiple news articles talked about how she deflected during her trial, seeming not to take responsibility for her complete role in the murder. Okay. Like, you know, like yeah, I was there. Uh, I did a few things, but I didn't, like, kill the guy. Still accessory, baby. Right. <laughs> so based on true, a true, another true crime, Daily News article, Beverly, the wife, had years after killing her husband, went on the internet and met a man in Pakistan who she moved to Pakistan to marry. And police tried unsuccessfully to get her extradited from Pakistan. Okay. 
it wasn't until February 2020 when Beverly was in Rome, because I learned this. This is interesting. So Beverly was in Rome. And when you check into hotels in Rome, they run your name to see if you are wanted for anything. Ooh. Her Her name came up as wanted under the Interpol warrant. And the hotel called the police and she was arrested. Go Italy. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, that is cool. Like, can you imagine if that, like we did that in the U S Yeah, be catching people left and right. (laughs) On July 8th, this, this month, 2022, she was flown back to the U S and where she was arrested and charged with second degree murder, dismemberment, mutilation of a body. Okay. Are you still there? I'm still there. What happened? I don't know. Just one second, everybody. Okay, I'll give you a second. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, this is one if we had a xylophone, I could play it. We experienced technical difficulties, but they're now over. So back to the show. So after we broke up for okay. a minute, my phone just, yeah, my phone did just, did not want to play Anchor. So sorry. Oh, so maybe, yeah, maybe we had a whole bunch of stuff going on. So, but, so Beverly's arrested and okay. of course I'm going to watch that case, but these are, and, and now I get to watch that trial. So I'll get a little bit more information because this is where I'm stuck on this case. So we have a wife that's married, right? And I do know that he has family. Okay. Cause at first I thought maybe this guy doesn't have any family. He does have family because they mention in some of the news articles. Yeah. Okay. So you're married. Well, let's use you and Mike. Okay. Mike are married. We are. You, mur- you murder Mike. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think there's like some type of missing person in 2002 for Mike? Oh, like so there, how did never, you just, he was never listed as missing? Well, I looked up, I looked up his name a couple different ways, mm. you know, and I didn't see anything like you would think there would be like some type of missing something for this guy. Yeah. And wouldn't you think that's not a, a long, a far distance from where he was found to where he lived, True. you know, and we had a case and I can't remember which one it was where the person died, was murdered and he, they were found on the other side of the state and, you know, the police knew and put two and two together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how did it go? All those years with your husband missing and and nothing, no news articles that I could find. I I just feel like there was any family or or work. Maybe she said, I don't know, maybe he was the type of because I don't know. Because okay, this is what I think of there's that case uh, in England where that woman died inside her what they call a flat, what we say is an apartment, and Mm -hmm. um, people didn't notice for years. And it wasn't until they went to go do something that they found her dead in the living room. And people were like, what, what happened? 
And in the end, I guess she was in like an on and off again relationship. So this is not, you know, quite the same. And so he doesn't report her as missing because they had recently broke up and she'd started a new job. And the, her coworkers thought, oh, she probably just quit. You know, she was new. It's not like she'd been there for 10 years, never missed a day. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, nobody. And then her, she was estranged from her family. So literally, like nobody looked for her. Yeah, maybe there's something up with how he has multiple names. Yeah. But I have time to investigate it and watch these trials because we're going to have, I'm sure Beverly yeah. is going to be like, what are you talking about? These people are liars. I did nothing. Yeah. Well, she's like, she reminds me of that one we did where the guy and the brother admit to killing the kid and the sister's like, no. That's the one where the uh, murder solved without DNA. The one guy admits to murdering him. The brother admits to his part and the sister Shauna is like, no, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, you were there. And she's like, no, I wasn't. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Well, he was found. He is getting justice. Nice. And go Rome. I think that's just the, the coolest thing. Yeah, that is really cool. It, you know that when you stay in a hotel in Rome, you are safe. There is not a murderer. Well, there could be a murderer, but. My daughter just recently had gone to Italy, and so we know she's clear. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I want to talk about House on Haunted Hill, the 19, I think it's 59, or is it 51? Anyway, I keep making a mistake on that one. But I watched the black and white version first, not the colored, colorized one, but I will talk about the colorized one. Okay. Yeah. And what happened was you can watch the um, House on Haunted Hill, the black and white one, just about basically anywhere because the studios didn't update the copyright, so it's public domain. And you can also oh. see like different versions of the movies because people can play with it because there's no copyright. Hmm. So the movie starts with like a woman screaming, maniacal laughter, some ghostly moaning. And this portion portion of the movie was so well received that it created the idea of novelty records with scary recordings on it. Because this is the first time like sitting in the dark theater, all the lights go out and all of a sudden you hear these scary sounds. And I guess it just scared the shit out of people. And they're like, yeah, we want some of that. Oh, huh. yeah. so this narrating man's head comes on and he talks about a real haunted house that he owns and seven people, including his brother, have died there. And he almost died there one night that he stayed in the home. And Vincent Price, who plays the main character, Frederick Lauren, he comes on and now he's talking about how he's rented this super haunted house for his wife to throw a party that may include death or murder. And five guests joined Vincent and his wife because they were promised ten thousand dollars in 1950s money. If they can stay the night in this locked house and all these people are in desperate need of money. So the first character that's introduced is this test pilot named Lance Schroeder. The second person is Ruth Bridges. She's a middle-aged woman who writes a column for newspapers. She is a gambler. She has some gambling debts. The third person is the movie's original narrator and the um, house owner, which is Watson Pritchard. He has unclear motives at this point. The second to last guest is Dr. David Trent. He's a psychiatrist and he's working on hysteria and he thinks that ghosts are phenomena of hysteria and he's basically just a greedy person in general. And the last person is Nora Manning. She is someone who supports her entire family because her parents were in a car accident and she works for one of Frederick's companies. So she's basically just a young woman desperate for money. They all arrive at the house, which looks like a concrete bunker slash castle. And you know, my husband and I were curious, Mike and I were curious whether the house was real. And Google said it was. It was actually built by Frank Lloyd Wright. And it was um, influenced by Mayan temples. 
it's registered as a National Historic Site. And according to the um, article on the site, movielocations.com, they didn't film the house, only the entrance. So, you know, you get to see this gorgeous house from the outside, but all the filming is done at a studio. It's not in the house. Oh. Bummer, because that house looks like what is going on on the inside. It looks like a bunker. Hmm. Yeah. So the five walk in the house together. The house has dust, cobwebs, suspicious strangers in the foyer. And they realize that none of them actually know the host, Frederick, or his wife. And suddenly the front door slams shut and that causes a chandelier to fall to the ground and it almost hits young Nora. Frederick's watching this from the second floor. He doesn't greet his guests, but he goes to his wife's room and she's talking about how she wanted a ghost party and she's mad that he invited these strangers. And he mock threatens to kill her. Let's just say 1950s um, were not nice to women. He mock threatens to kill her with a champagne cork and she tells him, she didn't poison the bottle, and he claims that she did try to do that once, just in case he makes her take a drink out of the bottle. She's his fourth wife, and he asked her if he could go, if she would go away for a million dollars. Again, this is like 1950s money, but she says, no, no, not a million dollars. I want all of it, and then she claims that he's too jealous, and he said that she's cheating, so he threatens to have her hanged, and he throws in a jab about her starting to develop wrinkles, okay? He's like, and you're getting old, bitch. So the, scene, the scene shifts back to the five people downstairs and suddenly Watson, who owns the house, but almost died in it. One other time he tried to stay there. He opens a compartment in the furniture and he pulls out a knife and he begins telling the others about how this, the knife he was holding was used to kill his brother and the sister of his brother's wife. And the killer was his brother's wife. So his sister-in-law, his brother's wife killed his brother and her sister and their parts were found all over the house, but not their heads. Their heads were never found. Frederick comes in and introduces himself, and he explains that the caretakers are leaving at midnight, and he's locking the doors behind them. And once that's done, there's no way out because there's bars on the window, there's a steel door, there's no neighbor, there's no electricity, there's no phones. They take a house tour, and the first thing they view is like blood stained on the ceiling. A young girl was killed at that spot and the ceiling still drops blood and some of that lands on the columnist, Ruth. And Watson thinks that the ghosts have tagged her is what he says. So they go to a lab and Watson mentions that the man who lived in the house liked to experiment with acid and he killed his wife by throwing her in. And it's like basically a giant pit in the ground. They're like in like a basement. It's all this um, cement. There's a giant vat filled with acid that um, specifically and specialized in dissolving flesh, but not bones. And the man who kills his wife was later killed um, via capital punishment. The pilot traps Nora in the lab after everyone left. And they start looking around. So Lance, the pilot, gets stuck in another room and the door slams. The lights start going out of Nora's room. An old woman ghost starts gliding toward Noah before sliding backwards. And the door that trapped Lance had been locked. And then um, then it unlocks itself. The others come in to help find Lance laying on the floor with an unexplained bump on his head. And Watson wonders why the ghost only hit him on the head instead of killing him. So Watson's like, oh, why did it just hurt him and not kill him? So Nora and Lance decide to go back to the room that they found Lance unconscious in. And they realize that there's a false wall there. Lance leaves Nora in the room and the ghost comes back. And and she's like standing on, it looks like she's standing on a cart and being pulled, this old woman. The quote unquote (laughs) ghost, yeah. Lance doesn't believe her and Nora runs off and into Annabelle, Frederick's wife. So Annabelle starts pumping Nora for information and warns her to never go around by herself. And as um, Annabelle leaves Nora in the room, she runs into Lance in the hallway. And Annabelle helps 
herself into Lance's room and then tries to pull information out of him. And Annabelle said that um, she's taking ghosts seriously and that Lance is not. And Annabelle tells Lance to be on his guard. Frederick's up to something. He wants to kill her. As Annabelle leaves Lance's room, she runs in. Um, she runs to her room where Frederick appears. They trade insults, and Frederick demands that she joins the party, pulling her hair until she agrees. Now it's just like domestic abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Nora opens the lid to her suitcase in her room and finds the missing severed head of Watson's brother. And she runs into the hallway just terrified. And a man grabs her and insists that she goes with his posse before he, quote, kills her. He kills her, end quote. Nora said um, she has enough. She wants to leave. And actually, the you find out the ghost is the blind caretaker's wife and that the guy that grabs her is actually the caretaker. Annabelle comes down to the party, and it is minutes from med- midnight. Frederick has seven mini coffins with seven guns in it, and he gives everyone a gun. He pulls off the shot to show that they're real, and no one is literally bothered by the noise. He's like, bang! And nobody reacts to the fact that the very long gun was just... <laughs> I was like, okay. So Frederick then hands out the guns, but his wife, Annabelle, puts hers back. She's like, I don't need it. So Nora tries to show everyone the severed head in her room, but it's not there, and now she goes to 11 emotionally. We're talking about hysterics, right? Lance goes to check on her, She's not in her room, but he does find a severed head hanging in her closet. And then that's when you see the feet of a woman hanging from the second floor. And you think it's the emotionally frazzled Nora, but then you see it's Annabelle, the wife. She's hanging. Lance finds Nora hiding around a corner. Corner. Nora said Frederick or someone choked her and put her in the closet thinking she was dead. Lance has Nora stay in his room while he goes downstairs because no one would look for her there. The doctor wants out and he's upset that they have six hours before being let out because they're not getting let out till 6 a.m. They all agree to stay in their rooms to lower the chance of a mishap. They're like, all right, you stay, I stay, we all stay. The doctor sees his door handle moving and when he goes to like grab the door, nobody's there. In Ruth's room, blood drips on her from the ceiling again. Lance, showing absolutely no common sense, goes back to the room with the false wall and this time it opens and then it closes on him, trapping him in. I was just like, you have no sense of danger, do you, Lance? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the lights go out in Nora's room and a rope slides from the window, wraps around her body. She can see Annabelle's ghost outside her window during this raging storm. And then Nora runs back out of her room. She sees a- Annabelle hanging again from the rafter and she backs up. A-, a monster arm grabs her and Nora runs into a room. The organ's playing by itself. She is at, she went past 11. She's at like a fucking 15 now. Like Nora is absolutely losing her shit. <laughs> Okay, so the doctor and Frederick go off to check the house because someone's broken the agreement to stay in their room. The doctor goes into the room that holds Annabelle's body, and that's when he leans down to her and he goes, hey, it's almost over. We can be together soon. And that's when you realize Annabelle's not dead. She rigged a harness to hang from the rafter, and the doctor, her lover, is in on the deception, and he pronounces her dead. The doctor and Annabelle were purposely working on getting Nora upset so that she would become hysterical and shoot Frederick. Nora does fire on Frederick in time for the doctor to come by and check the body. And then lights go out and you just hear weird noise. And then all of a sudden it cuts to the wife, Annabelle, coming down to the basement where the um, scientific lab is looking for the doctor. She's like, I know Nora shot. So the doors start shutting on their own. And for some reason, Annabelle decides to look into the vat of acid and she sees a skeleton rising out. And she hears Frederick's voice. And the skeleton starts to walk towards 
Annabelle and she starts backing up toward the um, acid vault and she falls in and dies. And then you see that Frederick was playing the skeleton like a marionette. He had his own plans. Frederick said he killed the doctor and now he has killed his wife. And Nora tells everyone, like, I shot Frederick, but he's alive because Frederick loaded the guns with blanks because he didn't trust his wife and that he killed his wife and the doctor in self-defense. And he says, like, and then I'm willing to face a court of law. And the movie ends with Watson saying that the house had taken two more lives and that he was next. And then maybe us just to, like, leave you scared at the end. Right. Yeah. I remember watching that. Did you the black and white one? Yeah, that's yeah. the one I remember watching. Yeah. So because guess- when, because when, you know, the old lady, the blind old lady, yeah. you could tell, like, it was like so bad. It was you like, could tell okay. it was the 1950s and in order to make her go, she stood on a cart and they pulled her. Yeah, you're on a cart. Yeah. So this film is actually best known for this promotional gimmick that it used in the original theater release called Emergo. And in some theaters that showed the film, exhibitors rigged an elaborate pulley system near the theater screen, which allowed plastic skeletons to be flown over the audience during the corresponding scene, like late in the film where the skeleton comes out. And several modern repertory cinemas, including the Film Forum and Lowe's Jersey Theater, they posted revival screenings and they did use the gimmick with the um, skeletons flying. And thanks in part to Castle's gimmickry, the film was actually a huge success. Alfred Hitchcock takes notice of the film's low-budget performance at the box office. Like, it's low-budget, but it has this major performance. So he decides to make his own low-budget film called Psycho. So he's like, yeah. So Castle himself was a Hitchcock fan, and he would also um, imitate Hitchcock's work later in the the film called Homicidal. So this later, the lady, Alan Marshall, who played Dr. Trent, the wife's lover, he was actually a popular actor who died on stage in 1961 during this play called Sex Ed, which he was supposed to be one of Mae West's multiple husbands. Hmm. Yeah, now, did you, you said you watched the 99 version? The 1999 version? Yep. I watched that recently, and it is actually a lot different. It starts with saying that the house was an asylum and that um, they were completely cruel to the inmates there and that they, the um, people eventually broke out, the patients did. And that they killed the doctor. The house goes on lockdown in the 99 version. It has these steel doors, these shutters that go over the windows and go over the door. And that people got locked in. There's a fire that started and everybody in the hospital, but five people died. And then the couple that hate each other, the wife does want to go to the um, asylum. The husband takes her there. He does try to kill her. Except for in the 1990 movie, 1999. There are real ghosts. It's saying that the doctor and the other evil people that were there are ghosts and they really are harming people. And I'm like scared shitless throughout the whole movie. They throw the ghost part in. It's a little less scary. And then at one point, the ghosts are chasing the two people left alive that are still in the house. And you're like, how are they going to make it out? Like, there's no way to make it out. Okay. The guy that plays the Watson Pritchard character whose family, you know, built the um, asylum. Mm-hmm. He turns into a ghost, and because he's a good ghost, he opens the door and lets him out. I was like, I was shitting myself. (laughs) I was so scared. Shitting my pants. And then the good ghost turns a lever and lets them out. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? 
I was so scared. I would say if you want to be scared for the first 90% of a movie, watch the uh, House on Haunted Hill 1999 version. If you want to stop being scared at the last 10% of a movie or 5%, watch House on Haunted Hill. The 1999 version. So scary. They had to end it on a good note. You Um, walk away feeling good. Yeah. Well, it worked. Well, not really, because I was like, I was myself. I was so scared. <laughs> but yeah, next week for sure, I'm gonna do one—a case that I think we have gone over, but it was a couple years ago, and there've been some recent developments. And then hopefully, Can't. I'll be done reading that book, and I can do it. <laughs> the other one. I don't know. I I have a lot of things written down. Okay. And if I told you what I was going to do, I won't do it. I'll be doing something else. That's how it rolls. But I got something good. Nice. It'll be good. Whatever I come to the table with. Yeah. Nice. All right. Cool. All right. See All you. Right, talk to you later. Bye.